So Jonathan is here. Hey, Jonathan. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really, really excited. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been, we all have been watching the Black Lives Matter movement. And I've just been so much in awe of the strength, you know, that the African-American community has displayed the ways you guys have inspired people all over the world to speak up and, and no longer sit back. You know what I'm saying? And just kind of accept all the nonsense that we've been given, you know, we've been handed out. But um, I want to go ahead and start off with your work, what you've been doing, especially your new music that's out now. I love being black. Yes. I really, really, I love the message. I mean, it's so straight on point, right to the topic. Like, no beating around the bush. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. What was your frame of mind, apart from the normal, you know, the obvious, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, love being black. So, the song, uh, the lyrics were actually written by my best friend, Janae Taylor. And we did, we were doing... Um, art and activism work on the south side of Chicago and she used to do it as a chant to young black kids to talk about Aww. their self-worth and talk about how we need to love our black skin even if this world tells us otherwise. Um, so I ended up turning those lyrics into a song and creating music behind it and yeah, it, it's a song that really has uh, just declared the worth of our blackness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So many times we live in a world that doesn't want us to love on ourselves, doesn't want us to appreciate who we are, doesn't Hello. want us to stand in our full dignity. Uh, so, yeah, we are out here loving our skin, loving being Black, not only in America, but everywhere, all around. One thing I love about Blackness is just the universality of it. I was able to um, live in South Africa for about a year, and, and that was the first wow. place I learned that, you know, blackness is everywhere. Blackness it's is, is <laughs> it, it, it is universal. Mm -hmm. uh, we are anywhere you go in this world, um, you will find black people there. Um, so just learning from my comrades in Cape Town and Joburg, some of the organizing work. Uh oh, hey, <laughs> some of the <laughs> organizing work, you know, a lot of folks look to um, black Americans in the history of the civil rights movement. But, but what yep. we really need to recognize is there's a larger, uh, longer strand of history and resistance built yep. into the universality of blackness going back to uh, Fela Kuti and mm -hmm. so many, so many black and brown artists uh, that have been holding it down on the cultural side and on the resistance side. So, so we have to continue to connect and learn from each other and talk across. Um, so, so much of what we need in this time is talking across different yeah. countries and different narratives and different perspectives. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, and that's what I really wanted to talk about, like, especially with your song, you know, as simple as it was, you know, I said, I love being black. I mean, I just love <laughs> it straight to the point and I couldn't get it off my head. Like, you know, I mean, did you understand the psychological positivity, yes. the impact that it has? Like, you know how when something is repetitive, like, mm -hmm. just in case you didn't get it, let me repeat myself again. I said, I love being black. You get mm -hmm. that? No, okay. I'm going to say it again, you know? <laughs> And the voice was so angelic and beautiful. Um, but I think that definitely needs to be the anthem 
like it needs to be the anthem mm. you know mm. straight to the mm. point so i really loved it and i want to thank you please for lending us your you know voice in in that kind of way you know that was really good to hear i loved well, it i had goosebumps and everything. <laughs> well thank you i i i most certainly appreciate that and you know i i think those are the anthems we need um mm-hmm. so much about um how we can take on resistance and struggle is about how do we make sure that we are standing in our fullness, standing in our full humanity. And we can't yeah. do that if if we're listening to a world that's telling us to hate ourselves. So yeah, that we're not about, enough. <laughs> exactly. So much about, we talk a lot about institutional racism, systemic racism, interpersonal racism, but oftentimes we leave out internalized racism how Mm. white supremacy and how the history of colonization and imperialism has sunk into who we are as black people and we start believing the lies we start believing that it's better to be lighter or fairer skinned or white and these are just lies (laughs) from Mm -hmm. the pits yeah Um, it, it, it is glorious it is beautiful it is wonderful to be black and to know our history and to know where we come from um, yeah. So we need to to be preaching that from every mountaintop and sharing that because uh, if we don't, the world will continue to lie to our children and to our yep. great grandchildren. Um, but but there is something strategic about the simplicity of I love being black. And um, if you look at the Black Joy Experience, the full album, many of the songs are very repetitive, very chant anthem like. Mm, um, okay. It, it, it is it is a tool to really get us prepared to confront yeah. the state, to confront oppression, to confront all of the people who are trying to take us down and take our spirits away. And basically to rearrange the programming, you know what I'm saying? The programming yes. in our minds. But um, I wanted to also ask you about the NSARS movement. You know, when when did you first hear about it? What did you guys think, you know, from your side? Um, just looking at it, looking at the situation, you know, what was your perspective? Absolutely. Um, I first heard about it. Uh, um, there's a Nigerian brother that I was doing some work with in New York, and mm-hmm. he uh, organized the Solidarity March out of New York. And I was in D.C. at the time. He's like, oh, I have some folks in D.C. that are doing the same kind of Solidarity March. I'll connect mm. you with folks down there. So it Aww. became very quickly into the NSARS movement. It, it became apparent that this was a particular moment of international solidarity in which we all have to get on board. We all have to show up for each other. Um, We have to realize that this is not just, you know, the movement for black lives is not just a fight for liberation and freedom for black Americans. Mm -hmm. If black Americans become magically free and liberated one day, but black people all around the rest of the world are still marginalized and oppressed by these oppressive systems, mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. we are not free as Black people. Yeah. Um, so the NSARS movement was just such a moment of encouragement, I think, for yes. making sure that we are continuing our goals for international solidarity. Yeah. Um, it can't just be about one country. Uh, mm-hmm. White supremacy isn't just about one country. <laughs> they mm-hmm. impacted the entire globe. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. They went everywhere they could with their guns, germs, and steel and tried to take over. If you just look at the history of imperialism and colonization. So we have to understand that if we're going to resist, if we're going, if if really the goal is to 
to move beyond oppression and get to a place where all black people can be liberated. That has to be an international struggle. So I, I just, you know, shout out to all of my comrades uh, across Nigeria and across West Africa for resisting, for standing up, for fighting in this moment. I think, um, you know, a lot of um, black Americans don't fully understand how oppression shows up in countries that are majority black, but it is still I know, there. right? <laughs> <laughs> oftentimes, if only you knew. <laughs> oftentimes the, the history of uh, colonization is still lingering in these places. And though um, we we have we're living in in a generation where where we're several generations into these countries being liberated. The history of of um, white colonization is still lingering in those places. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a a Black Joy Experience tour last summer, uh, and we went to uh, Freetown, Sierra Leone. We went to Accra, Ghana, Cape Coast, Ghana, and then we went to Lome, Togo, mm. and. It was when we were in Accra. <laughs> um, it, it's it was my first evening there. We're walking to um, a club with with a couple of our friends. It's me, one of my best friends. Um, we went to school together. She's a Black American, mm -hmm. and then one of her friends, who's a Ghanaian man, mm -hmm. and we walked past a group of uh, policemen. And we didn't acknowledge them. Where I'm from, you don't acknowledge police. You, you don't look at them. You kind of just keep it pushing. You don't yeah. say hi. Don't talk to me. I won't talk to you. Mm -hmm. Literally, this group of policemen was like, wait, you, you're not going to acknowledge us? Wait, uh-uh. Everybody come back here. And they literally stopped and frisked us. Oh they my say, God! Run your pockets. Take everything out of your pockets. We want to see everything. Looking for drugs or whatever else. And we didn't have anything on us, but in that moment, it was just so apparent that police brutality and police violence isn't just an American phenomenon and yeah. isn't just a phenomenon of Western culture. This is deeply embedded yep. into every country that has that white supremacy and white colonization has touched. Um, so that history and that lineage of overcriminalization of uh, misuse of power, of police brutalization, yeah. uh, still lingering all across West Africa. Yeah, um, and I think all over Africa. Ins all, all over, over Africa, Africa yeah, period. Oppression. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the NSARS movement really brought attention, not only to Nigeria, but to this larger issue of police violence and police yeah. um, overcriminalization all across the globe. So shout out to my Nigerian brothers and sisters and siblings and comrades. You all are really, uh, holding it down for real, for real, um, spreading messages <laughs> all around the globe that we need to hear for a true international solidarity movement. Yeah, for me, um, when when you know when the NSARS protests started in Lagos and then it spread all over Nigeria, every Niger many Nigerians were super proud and just so elated and just it was this. It, we had many many proud moments, and then yeah. when that massacre happened on the 20th of October at the, you know, Lekki Tollgate yeah. in Lagos, it felt, the, the emotions I had were, of course, I had trauma, of course, yeah. um, but I felt embarrassed. I felt embarrassed because we're out here saying Black Lives Matter, don't kill our people, but we're out here in our country killing our people. Like, and it just kind of yeah. felt like, how are you going to tell people out of your country, you know, outside of your country then to stop killing your people Mm -hmm. And at home, y'all are killing one another, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it felt very, very embarrassing. I was angry. I was disappointed. 
you know, because I thought we had come a long way and here we are going back to the dark ages, doing the same kind of things that they did to our parents that made them not, you know what I'm saying? That made them weak, you know, a little bit, a little bit too afraid. I wouldn't say weak, but a little bit too afraid to, you know, come out and protest and speak up, you know, for yeah. what's good. So I felt super embarrassed, you know, but most of all, I really just loved the support that we got from our African-American brothers and sisters. I just love the fact, because, you know, on Shade Room, we, we, everybody be fighting, y'all. You know you know how they be having all these comments and people just be going back and forth. You know, this in-house, I call it in-house yes. fighting, you know, yes, brothers yes. and sisters fighting. But when it came to that Black Lives Matter thing, oh, I mean, you know, the NSAR situation, man, everybody stood up for us. And it was just so nice. It was so nice to, to be able to put everything to the side and just focus yeah. because, hey, we're speaking the same language right now. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And it, it, it's really needed those moments of international solidarity. And I, I think we've we've seen them in, in different moments throughout history. I think the anti-apartheid movement had a lot of international black solidarity folks yes. really standing in um, to make sure that that apartheid ended. But but it's almost like these once in a generation or once in a decade moments that we have this opportunity to show up for each other in a real way. Yeah. I do think as globalization increases, as we have better access to each other on social media, as uh, plane costs, flight costs get more and more reduced, I think there will be more and more moments for us to not only show up for each other through technology and through social media and through solidarity marches, I really think we have to be in the same places organizing together, strategizing in rooms together to think beyond what the world is today. Yeah. Um, so so much of what we need is, is um, time and space and opportunity in our generation to have some radical imagining of, of the world, what the world can really look like for everyone. Um, or else we'll just really be recreating these power dynamics that exist where there's a very few amount of people Hold, amassing most of the wealth, holding all of the wealth, um, and capitalism will win once again. Racialized capitalism will win once again. So I'm encouraged yeah. that, you know, when, when I think about long-term organizing or long-term strategy, I'm imagining Black people from all around the world being in the same rooms and able to strategize, well, what do we want a liberated world to yes. look like and how yeah. do we work towards that goal together? Yes. And that's um that's what I was gonna ask you too. I was gonna ask you, okay, now that you know, you know, we as Africans, we are we are of the we are of the same spirit, you know, we're of the same strong strength. However, um we we don't have the experience of I would say Nigeria. We don't have the experience of long term protest and mm. staying the course because our leaders have been extremely brutal, brutal, absolutely mm. like they don't mind they don't mind killing everybody brutal mm -hmm. okay so um times that you guys have faced obstacles in the black lives matter movement times that people have pointed guns at y'all killed people and everything what kept you guys strong what can you say to those people that have been that have just been you know weakened so far by yeah. the, the massacre that took place yeah yeah absolutely um to be a freedom fighter is a lifelong battle Mm -hmm. um, it is never easy. And honestly, I would suggest for some folks to, you know, when you burn out, don't be afraid to tap out. Um, mm -hmm. We I like need that. to be like tapping okay. each other in and out of the movement mm -hmm. or else you, you really can't. Look, movement work can take 
everything from you. It can take everything out of you. So um, we lean on um, what we call a a healing justice framework or a healing justice praxis Mm. in which we focus on what do we need to do as we are fighting and as we are resisting how are we making sure that we're healing and taking care of our mind, body, and spirits simultaneously as we're fighting against systemic and institutional oppression? Mm. Um, one thing that we know, you know, from just from the history of Black American resistance, yeah. is that this is an intergenerational battle, and yeah. and this mm. is this is this is something that is known across across Africa, across black spaces in Europe, across black spaces everywhere. We, when we're fighting and when we're resisting, um, we are fighting for future generations. And even though it was, it, it's beautiful to see wins and to see small policy changes or to see um, uh, the defunding of police or different police departments be taken away. But at the end of the day, the, the, this fight is so large and so encompassing that we have to make sure that our mindset is one that says, this is going to be a multi-generational battle. So let, wow. me pay, let me pace myself and my spirit and my energy to be mm. fighting a multi-generational Forever. battle. Wow. Or else, wow. or else we ain't going to make it. <laughs> like, you know what? That's so true, though. That is so true. It's funny because, wow, I didn't, I didn't see it like that, you know? My mind was, oh, we're going to fight for this a little bit, get our, get our, unrealistically, you know, get our results met, right? Or our, um, you know, we'll get what we want, basically. And we yeah. can just, you know, chill. But I, I like how you said that, you know, you need to tap in and tap out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Chill for a little bit, gain some strength, come back in. And just go ahead and keep rotating. But remember that it's a lifetime battle. Wow. It is. Wow. Wow. Because yeah, it's been it a lifetime oppression. Exactly. So, therefore, multi generational. <laughs> it took us oppression. a long time to get to where we are today with racialized forms wow. of capitalism that are oppressing all of our people. It's going to wow. take a long time to get out of this. Yeah. But in the meantime, we have to be focusing on, you know, like there are two battles happening simultaneously. As we are fighting and resisting against this history of colonization, the history of white supremacy and this over-policing that happens all around the world, as that fight is taking place, we're not waiting for for some magical moment of freedom to happen. Instead, we have to make sure we're creating those spaces of liberation in our communities. And this is what I think Black Americans from um, not only Black Americans, but Black people that are living outside of Africa need to lean on as we are looking to, to, to the wisdom of uh, our comrades that are living on the continent on of the Africa. On the continent, yeah. We need to lean on this idea of creating these spaces where we experience love and joy and family and freedom and liberation, even mm. in the midst of struggling against these larger forms of oppression that have wow. impacted our communities and multi, multi, multiple generations within our communities. So, so therefore we're not waiting for, for uh, this oppression to be over in, in order to experience the fullness of who we are and the fullness of our freedom. We're creating these pockets, these subcultures, these spaces where we can experience freedom and liberation as we're simultaneously fighting against these systems of oppression. And I, yeah. I think that as we think about the just the, multi-generational family making and community 
community outpouring that exists across West Africa. You know, when, when folks talk about the connections that they have, they are connections of who my grandfather knew, who did my great grandfather know, and how are our families connected throughout the generations? That's the kind of connection and love and solidarity that we have to continue to build outside of the continent of Africa also. Wow. And and that's what I noticed that, you know, the NSARS movement did have, you know, there were moments because, you know, Africa, not only Africa, of course, but Africa has been plagued with extreme poverty in different areas, you know, and just extremes of both sides, you know, people that yeah. are extremely rich. Yeah. Um, I'm not talking about those who worked hard, but just just unfairness in situations, people who have, you know, I would say people in the government or people who have mm-hmm. been given favoritism through the government, through the oppressors, mm-hmm. basically. And I'm talking people that are extremely rich and then people that are extremely poor mm-hmm. and having no shame, no shame, talking about your private jets and all that kind of stuff that is derived from the country's wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, while you have horrible roads, people who have no food to eat, no electricity, how are you proud of what your country is providing when... There's a lot of shameful, shameful stuff going on. So in the middle of all that, in the middle of the protest, people were raising money for other people, you know, for mm-hmm. the less privileged. People were providing food. I mean, people were taking rotations. And, and I mean, it was just so amazing to see. It was like a foreshadow of what we were asking for. You know, we were asking yes, for yes. better systems and we were giving ourselves better systems and better organizations and accountability and all that kind of stuff, you know, and during the, the movement, we were basically showing the government an example of yeah. what we can do in less than two weeks. Yeah. And they did yeah. not like that. They did not like that. <laughs> I think know? that's the most beautiful thing about looking at these moments of resistance and these movements that we're creating. Um, we are creating the world that we want to see. Yeah. Uh, we did um, a occupation in New York earlier this year and we were occupying outside of uh, New York City Hall demanding that New York defund the New York Police Department by $1 billion. Mm. And as we were occupying, you know, it probably started out with maybe 50, 75 people the first day. The second day was probably around 500 folks sleeping there. By day Dang. three, by day three, four, we had about three to 5,000 people living outside of City Hall. Oh, um, my goodness. Wow. And immediately you saw this outpouring of literally this idea of creating our own systems that work for us. We had medical services. We had free food 24 hours a day. We wow. had folks that created uh, a community library. We had uh, what we call a bodega where folks folks could go up and get get any resources they need or get any of the kind of items they need to sustain oh their, my their God, life. I love it. Oh. It was such a beautiful example of the world we want to live want in. want to see. Mm. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what we know is that there's so much wealth and resources to go around. We can all be wealthy. We can all live out wealthy lives if there wasn't such an accumulation of wealth with such a small amount of population in Mm -hmm. this world. Um, But, but racialized capitalism has taught us that like the winner takes all the billionaire that for whatever reason has access to that oil field or whatever point of, (laughs) uh, uh, of opportunity or gold mine or a a literal gold mine, then Mm -hmm. that family amasses intergenerational wealth. 
instead of that wealth being for all the people. So we really have to be able to rethink and re-strategize um, how do we redistribute wealth that yeah. that goes across everyone, that lifts everyone up, that takes care of all of the people. Um, and how do we take care of this world in a way? Because the same people who are amassing all of these amounts of wealth are destroying the planet. And just so happens, many of those same people are, are the folks like Elon Musk creating spaceships that go to Mars. So I, I really think their plan is to like leave us here in this burning planet <laughs> <laughs> as mm. all of the wealthy people take their billion dollar rides to go live somewhere else. So, so I really think that um, there's a reckoning of humanity mm-hmm. that, that we're going to have to face in the next several generations in our lifetime. Um, And it it will be one uh, where we are fighting over even the most simple resources of water and food. Mm. Um, So we have to make sure we're preparing um, our kids, our grandkids for this moment of of international reckoning against racialized capitalism, where it's not going to be okay for a very few amount of people to hold all the wealth in resources of this world. We have to be able to redistribute it so that we can um, take care of everyone. And the the beautiful part is we have enough resources, we have enough um, opportunity to go around, but those who hold the power at this point are either corrupt, don't wanna share, or are feeding this history of white dominant culture that really is all about the individual and taking us further and further away from the community. Yeah, and it's um it's this monopoly, you know what I'm saying? For example, I think there was I believe I'm not sure exactly what market it is, but there is uh a supply chain that just got shut down in Nigeria supposedly because of the COVID-19 issue in Africa. And but then there's this one rich guy that he's the only one who has access to supply the those goods and services. And it's kind of like, "Come on, can you be any I mean, yeah. how dumb do you think we are? We can see what you're doing and this is what you guys have done forever. You know, you can yeah. claim, oh, he's the richest guy in Africa and all that kind of stuff. But you have given him one opportunity that you did not allow others to get into. So how is he really, you know what I'm saying? How is he really, you know, uh, how does he qualify then? You know what I mean? Does he qualify yeah. only? And the truth is, this is the perspective that... In my opinion, I feel this is what they use to get us to turn against one another. It's always been the game. It's always been the name of the game. Selfishness, yep. um, bribery um, with what we value. You know, um, yeah. slave trade would not have happened if there were not, you know, sellouts. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. It would not have taken place if there were not sellouts. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's something n- not that that was the only way that it happened, but it, it would not have happened if there were not sellouts, period. Yeah. You know, and when are we going to stop? When are we going to (laughs) stop? And for a moment, um, have one voice. You know, when are we going to? And I like that you mentioned people in the diaspora can help. And I believe right now in Africa, not too many people are power, have the power. Not too many people have the opportunity. But a lot of very intelligent minds in Nigeria live outside of Nigeria. A lot of very intelligent minds in many other African countries live outside of Africa, you know, because they get yeah. scholarships here in the U.S. or, you know, Europe or somewhere else. And, man, these guys are the ones building weapons, you know, for all these, all these Western countries. Yeah. I mean, I know you, you, you're loyal to your job and all that kind of stuff. You know, you got to make your money. But please look 
at us. You know, like if you're listening to this podcast, we are asking for your help. We're asking for your resources. We're asking for your knowledge and your intelligence. You know, Africa has an opportunity right now. We have an opportunity right now because for some reason, everybody's battling their COVID-19 situation, right? <laughs> and it's time. It's, it's, it's a little, you know, we have a little bit of a window to help Africa, you know, and, and speak up. And, and this is re- the reason why I went ahead and said, you know what, let me continue on with my show because this is near and dear to my heart. You know, yeah. this is near and dear to my heart. And I just want to be able to give us Africans in the U.S., you and, and those back home, um, one more voice, you know what I'm saying? One more person that's going to speak up and, and fight yeah. for our people, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it really is a each one teach one piece here. Uh, we just have to be sharing and building together um, and it will all add up to something. We're not doing this in vain. Um, these international moments of resistance are truly uh, turning into international and intergenerational movements yeah. of solidarity and of relationship and of connection. And the only way we're going to get free together is for us to build these radical relationships with each other that allow Mm -hmm. us to lean on these radical imaginations and lean on the trust that it's gonna take to create a new world. Yeah, and you know, I really thank you for, you know, the work that you've been doing and lending your voice, you know, um, and and speaking up, you know, for for all of us, you know. Um, I wanna continue to, you know, anyone who has, I want next week or as the coming weeks, uh, as the weeks come by, I would say, I would love to get more information on situations that's going on in Ethiopia. I would love to talk about things that's going on, that are going on right now in um, the Congo, you know, because right mm. now um, the Congo is going through a lot of crazy situations with, with child abuse and child labor. And, you know, all these American or Western companies are benefiting from the suffering as usual, nothing new, right? As usual, but it can't be business as usual anymore. They need to be held accountable. You know, when, when, when Asian countries have had their sweats, you know, shops, right? Everyone was up in arms and going crazy over it, which was good, right? It's time for us to start speaking out for our people because the truth is they're not going to, you know, they're not going to have some sense. We need to give them that sense. Like, we need to remind them, like, look, we're going to, you know, we're going to boycott, you know, your product and all that kind of stuff just so that you know that we're serious, yeah. you know? I did want to ask you, though, in situations where we're not able to protest physically or we're scared to protest physically, what other ways can, I mean, would you say that a group of people can protest, you know, boycotting yeah, yeah. or what other ways would you, I mean, do you, have in mind. Yeah, I mean, there are so many ways for us to be able to resist. So much about being able to resist in the 21st century is educating each other and the political education and the reconscientizing of each other that it takes for us to kind of stay awake. This idea of being woke is, is I think, critical to resistance. So yeah. I, I don't think that the only role of an organizer or of an activist is to be at the front lines of marginalization. You don't have to be out there putting your body on the line. We need we need those folks who are at the front line, but that is not possible for everyone. Uh, so there are many other roles that folks can take on. Some folks might be good at communications and media. You might be the person that needs to be 
sitting at home talking to the press and making sure that we're communicating a concise and cohesive message mm, um, yeah. all across yeah. the globe, um, you might be the person that um, is the creator. You might be doing your organizing and activism through your creativity. Um, mm. So there's there like I, I think that we need to show up where our talents are. So yeah, if your true. talent is public speaking, show up in that way. If your talent is educating folks, show up in that way. If your talent is is creating music, show up in that way. Um, but I think our talents uh, should lead us to where we want to go um, because it, it's, to me, the most critical point of sustaining movements is being able to experience joy and center ourselves in joy as we are creating movements and, and resisting against systems that are oppressing us. If we're not centering these moments and these movements on joy, then they're not sustainable. Um, so in order to be joyful and to, and to move in the spirit of joy throughout all of this work, I think it's critical that we show up in the spaces that make us better, that we show up in the spaces where we can utilize our strengths and we show up in the spaces that allow us um, to live out the wildest dreams of our ancestors. Wow. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for taking your precious time <laughs> out of your schedule, you know, to come show us some love and, and speak to us. I really wanted to, you know, hear from you and, and just kind of, you know, get ideas. And hopefully this will not be the last time, you know, we'll talk. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, I want to, you know, just thank you. Thank you very much for, for you know, helping, you know, going out as well and, and showing your support to NSARS. And, and I hope that we all can continue to, you know, work together. Um, by the way, does anyone have any questions? I think I did see um, a quick question here. Sorry. I saw a question here. It says, how can Black Americans and Africans come together and collaborate and make the message louder? Yeah. How can African Americans and Africans in Africa come together and collaborate to make the message louder? Yeah. What would you say? You know, I think it's critical. One thing that I think needs to happen is uh, folks need to return home to the continent of Africa. I think as long as we're only interacting through social media, I, I think it's critical for us to create movements that allow folks to return home and experience West Africa or South Africa or East Africa or wherever you go. Just sure. go, go and experience that. And I think that opens your eyes. Um, to the 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 this this idea I opened up with the universality of blackness. How yeah. at the end of the day we have all had similar struggles, and we are all juxtaposed to being oppressed by the history mm. of white supremacy. Um, so so it really is up for up to us to build those relationships with each other. I don't think that can truly happen in, unless we return home. Um, mm. So so that would be my my first suggestion. Obviously it's very expensive to do that. So we need to be yeah. creating, we need to be fundraising, we need to be creating ways hey, that's to, true. To, to do that. Um, there's a wonderful program outside of Togo called Magic and Melanin that supports uh, Black people in the diaspora coming back mm. home to, to West Magic Africa. And and it, yes, Magic, Magic and Melanin. Yes, Magic and Melanin. Wonderful, wonderful program. But we need, we need that's one example of many things that infrastructure that we need to be building um, to allow us to be not only be interacting through technology, because I'm actually very critical of 
of living our lives only on social media. Like it, yeah. it is, it really is truly the big brother that will ruin yep. everything. We need yep. to be in the same room strategizing and building relationships with each other and really getting back to the root of community. This history of the griot, this history of the griot, the traveling storyteller, the poet, the person mm -hmm. who is passing down the knowledge from intergenerations. We need to be living out that lineage of our ancestors and sharing stories and coming back together and building solidarity with each other. And I, I think that is how we'll get a little bit closer to freedom. Wow. And also, um, how can we, well, follow you? How can, you know, our listeners, you know, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, um, absolutely. Get your song. Absolutely. So folks should download The Black Joy Experience. It's streaming on all platforms. It's on YouTube. Just type in The Black Joy Experience and you can find the full Freedom Song album. Folks can follow me on Instagram at j.likes, j.lykes. Um, and visit my website, liberationhouse.org, liberationhouse.org. Um, you can see some of the other work I'm involved in. All right. Thank you so much, um, guys, for joining us and Jews Uncut. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Jonathan. You have a wonderful, wonderful day. And guys, thank you so much for your support. Um, I love you guys for coming on live. I would have loved for some of y'all to come on live and ask questions, but uh, I think we're not going to waste your time today. <laughs> but thank you so much, Jonathan. And uh, you have a wonderful, wonderful day, guys. Thank and you that's so much. It for us. Appreciate you. You have a good one. All right, you too. Bye.